Next week, there's going to be a summit arranged by the Future of Music Coalition in Washington, D.C. At this summit, a clutch of musicians and lawyers and rights managers will meet to discuss the future of music. Uh, as regards royalties, royalty payments, streaming services, all these different, you know, bands and singers are making all this noise about how, you know, Pandora or Spotify are ripping them off and they're making all this money. Well, none of them are making money. There's advertising revenue that's being transacted, but none of the artists are thinking in terms of the back end infrastructure that's necessary for Pandora and Spotify to get this music out to 60 million, you know, 150 million people. The servers, the routing, the bandwidth, the pipe, all of these things are massive expenses on these companies in order to deliver this new service, this service that is clearly replacing the space that FM radio occupied in our past. Now, what I have to wonder is, you know, was Dave Lowry calling up fucking WZBC or WFMU and being like, hey, where's my fucking royalty payments for, you know, playing Take the Skinheads Bowling every Sunday at noon or whatever? Take the Skinheads Bowling, take them bowling. Take the Skinheads. No, because he was registered with one of the publishing houses and it was their responsibility to negotiate based on playlists how much of a royalty he would get for his music being used on that particular radio station. But that didn't even happen on college radio. I totally applaud David Lowry's transparency in terms of you know publishing the numbers on his band on Camper Van Beethoven, um, but you know D David Lowry was on Virgin Records twice, Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker. He signed two different deals with a massive multinational record label. You know he made his own bed. There are only two income streams that David Lowry ever enjoyed as the leader of Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker. One, the advance he was given, and two, the money he made off of a very artist-centric deal that gave him a huge cut of CD sales. When David Lowry was out there selling Key Lime Pie to me, and I was paying $14.99 for that CD, David Lowry was pocketing a pretty good chunk of that change when you factor in the number of people that were required to run Virgin Records at that time. You can say that their overhead was absurd and that their overhead was blown out of proportion, those are the kind of arguments Steve Albini makes in the whole problem with music thing, and they're, they're legitimate. These companies were based on casting a massive net and having, you know, two or three huge hits to offset the rest of their activity, which was very expensive and rarely made them any money. This idea that artists are suddenly fucked now and they never were before is just so fucking duplicitous. Nobody ever made any money. Nobody. They didn't make money because their music was so great and the music industry was configured in such a manner that they were properly remunerated for that success. They made it because they were celebrities. Amanda Palmer did not get a million dollars on Kickstarter because her music is so fucking good. It's because she's a celebrity. It's because Dresden Dolls had reach into Broadway producers and big money in New York and maybe 20 or 50 of them gave her 50 or $20,000. That's all it takes for you to get a million dollars. 50 stupid rich people with nowhere to put their money. And it could be even more disgusting. They may just think you're hot. I mean, everyone looks at Kickstarter in such a Pollyanna way. Like it's this huge, you know, social revolution. And we're all, you know, crowdsourcing the, the best, most heartfelt projects. We're just making art happen all the time as a people. 
Do you even realize how fucking unregulated what's going on with Kickstarter is? I mean, I love Yancey to the end. I mean, I had a drink with him and Azrad when they were starting eMusic, and like to me, that just didn't seem like it was going to work out, and I passed on it. Take that HBO documentary, Born Rich, the Johnson & Johnson kid did. That's Kickstarter. It's people who just have nothing to spend their money on finding this, you know, novel way to feel better about themselves or feel like they contributed to art. It's exactly the same way movies are made. That's what an executive producer is. That's why people are like, you know what, it's probably pretty embarrassing if we have seven producers on this movie. What, can you just be an associate producer and you'll run after the movie's over? Like, Kickstarter is setting music up to be made the same way. By patronage and, you know, investiture. Let's go back to fucking, you know, the indie rock shit in the 90s with the 7 inches and hardcore in the 80s. You're pressing 500 copies of a 7 inch. It's not about making money. You take those CDs, you take those 7 inches and you give them to Lumberjack or you, you put them in the back of Maximum Rock and Roll and Force Exposure and like, yeah, they send you a check for 20 bucks eight months later. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Because suddenly Spotify and Pandora have made distribution better for you, have allowed you access to millions and millions and millions of people, you're owed more? Look at the biggest bands of the 2000s. Look at The Strokes. Look at Interpol. These were bands that had crossovers of a magnitude nobody could have predicted or expected. I was shocked at how big The Strokes were. At that time, you don't have the dot-com problem. So yeah, they probably made a bunch of money off album sales. They can thank the recording industry for setting that up for setting up a barrier to entry through physical media that was agreeable to the consumer and that was priced at a point the consumer was willing to bear. We were paying $15.99 for CDs. The industry was making things better for the artist by having a stranglehold on the distribution of their material. The artist now has two choices. Release the material or don't. If you release it, it's gone enjoy you know the response to it you've got no one on your side to control that process and ensure that consumers are forced to compensate you for enjoying that product it's not the music industry's responsibility to fix what's happened nor is it spotify or pandora's responsibility to make things the way they were when the music industry was in control of music distribution everyone is playing the hand they were dealt they want to pretend that their music is the reason that the guys who came up with Spotify and Pandora are rich, and it's not. They're rich because they came up with Spotify and Pandora. They're making money because they own a product and a service that is being used by tens of millions of people. They have an intellectual property at hand, and they're leveraging that to their own advantage, and that's their fucking right. If you want to leverage your own music in some way that, you know, is on your own terms, don't fucking sign a record deal with a record label who's going to give your fucking music to Spotify and Pandora to stream it. And don't start some fucking summit where you guys think you're going to go down there and you're going to be all artist-centric and DIY and punk rock and you're going to bang out how these fucking bros and technology are all taking our fucking music and using it to sell ads and then they're buying Ferraris, man. You know, it, the, the interpretation of what's going on right now could not be more fucking childish. Musicians have to recognize that when distribution becomes a zero-cost operation, you not only have less of an opportunity to add markup 
to take more from the consumer to compensate you and their record label for all the effort that's involved in getting your record in the you know marketplace because the advertisers are all looking at these streaming services like what's my dollar getting me here I'm, I'm not seeing it your services are so user-centric and that's the nature of their success that advertising is an offense to your user community so advertising is not really a great platform for these services to rely on, which is why Spotify is clearly the best model, as far as I'm concerned. I pay 10 bucks a month for access to everything on Spotify. The record labels have decided that is a workable framework. They put their music on there. It's not all on there, sure, but there's a lot of great stuff on there. And it's extremely easy to navigate it, and the quality is absolutely serviceable for my needs. It's a great front end, it has a DRM component in the AUG files, and it protects the artist, so I just feel like, you know, I'm giving something back. No song is better than any other. It's just more popular or less. And the more popular ones make more money and deserve a bigger cut of the advertising revenue that is or isn't generated by the streaming services that are delivering them. These services are creating a meritocracy that strips out a lot of bloat. That bloat was being passed on to the consumer in egregious prices for physical media. It's been removed. If I listen to the same 46 songs in a playlist over and over again, month after month, and I keep paying 10 bucks, the artist is going to keep getting a chunk of that. Even though I'm listening to the same song over and over again, I'm still paying for it ultimately. That kind of drip never existed before. I would go into Strawberries and I would buy a CD and that's it. That's the extent of my interaction with your band. I bought Key Lime Pie, I'm done with you. Well, that's not true. I bought all your albums. If I have a playlist of Key Lime Pie and Our Beloved Revolutionary Sweetheart, Telephone Free, Landslide Victory, and all that shit, if I've got my Camper Van Beethoven playlist and I keep listening to it every month and it's all I listen to, but I keep paying 10 bucks a month for the convenience of Spotify, David Lowry is ultimately getting more out of me than he would have ever gotten in the past. And he's acting like Spotify has killed the Golden Goose. What was the Golden Goose, dude? I would love to see what your advance was from Virgin. I really would. Uh, because I think that, to me, is the one thing David Lowry doesn't want to talk about. I, I just think if he revealed that, people would stop listening to him. You know, it's really easy for him to complain about, you know, how things are now. Because he has a name and he has a reputation and his band has a number of kind of linchpin songs in the alternative rock market that has aged much better than the music he was kind of working in opposition to. But the fact is David Lowry took a pretty good chunk of money from a pretty massive corporation that had pretty questionable interests. And now he's trying to attack juvenile, naive companies that are just trying to establish new technologies because the publishing house he signed with agreed that those technologies were worth exploring. And he doesn't because he's not making as much money out of them. Every time this issue of streaming and artists not making any money come up, it's like, dude, nobody ever fucking made any money, ever. Nobody. It's like five bands. REM, they made money because they sold out to fucking Warner Brothers. That was their choice. I fucking applauded it. There was no reason for R.E.M.'s records to keep sounding shitty. They were writing great pop songs. I was really happy when Green came out. And that was like probably the most capricious age I'd ever been at. I mean, I had people fucking coming into homeroom being like, you know that song Stand? R.E.M. didn't write that. Some kid wrote it. 
and they had a contest and they had to put it on the album. It's not a real REM song, man. For real, that happened. Seventh grade. As much as we hated it then, I fucking love Stan now. Because at least it's not shiny, happy people. I mean, I could even deal with I Remember California. Because at least it's not Everybody Hurts. What you're talking about with the Future Music Coalition is you're talking about rights holders. And I got a real issue with that because, you know, honestly, how many variations of Pachelbel's Canon and D have we sat through for the last hundred odd years? With or without you, every pop punk song ever is Canon and D. There's a common sense argument to be made here about whether pop music is really art of that magnitude or it's just dialogue. It's completely laughable to me that you're looking at the outside world to make you whole for having written a pop song.